0: Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at choosewood.com.
1: This is St. Louis on the Air from St. Louis Public Radio. I'm Elaine Cha. The U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics projects the employment of speech-language pathologists to grow 19% from 2022 to 2032, yet the number of people entering the field doesn't match that forecasted demand. To help meet that need, St. Louis University is taking its Speech, Language, and Hearing Sciences Scholars Program and launching a rebrand this fall that creates a path for students to complete their bachelor's and master's degrees in speech language pathology in five years instead of the typical six. Here to talk about both current and projected needs around speech language support and what changes have been made to the St. Louis University program beyond time, we welcome Dr. Travis Thretz, professor and chair of SLU's Department of Speech, Language, and Hearing Sciences. Hello and welcome. Thank you. Now let's start sort of with a um, a setting uh, of the, the scene in so far as diagnoses and uh, disorders go. What is the range uh, when it comes to speech language disorders, Dr. Threads?
0: Uh, the range that speech language pathologists treat is very wide. First we'll talk about how wide it is age-wise. So it starts all the way from uh, newborns, especially with newborn hearing screenings, and certainly children who are born with the uh, already with the diagnosis you want to start things there all the way up to people who are a hundred and may have uh, have had a stroke, Parkinson's or Alzheimer's so it's a wide it's think full age range that speech and language pathologists work with
1: mm-hmm. No we opened by saying that there are these projections mm-hmm. for how many uh, pathologists uh, in speech and language um, therapy and interventions. What is going to be needed and, and what currently exists? Why isn't it that supply uh, is meeting demand at this point?
0: Well, first of all, the supply is, is uh, the supply is staying steady, but the demand is going is rapidly up. Mm-hmm. So that's the situation. So the demand is up for several reasons. One has to do with medical advances on both sides. So children who are born premature, Many of these children didn't used to survive, but now they're surviving, and those children don't all have speech language or hearing problems, but they have a higher percentage than the population as a whole. Mm -hmm. Plus, with that population, there's been a change of um, approach. It used to be, if you had so many problems, you just didn't go to school.
1: Right, right. Uh,
0: It wasn't until the 1970s that it was required that all children with disabilities even be educated. So there also used to be a time in the country that if you had language problems, which led to reading problems and you had trouble reading, which means that, of course, the further you go in school, the more trouble you're going to have, you could drop out and you could get a good-paying middle-class job in a factory. Mm -hmm. Uh, So those jobs, uh, because they're either uh, automatized or or overseas, not as many of those jobs exist anymore. So think of a game of a mechanic. So you wouldn't have to have great language skills just to be a mechanic. But now if you're working in a a garage, you're expected to enter the parts and the charge and all of that. And if you can't do that, you're not going to be employed. So society has become more dependent on jobs that require good communication. And some things like the rate of autism is very much higher than it used to be mm-hmm. for any number of reasons. And then there's just an the overall philosophical change that all children deserve to be educated and mm-hmm. to reach their best. Right. And that hasn't always been.
1: Uh, and is that part of the reason you got into the work that you're doing now?
0: Uh, well, my own brother, uh, three years younger, is, uh, has autism. So I was aware of the field uh, from a very, very young age. Right. Right. So, uh, so that's going on at the younger age. And then about the same issue about medical advancements. People are living longer, so when Alzheimer's disease was first uh, named back in the eighteen hundreds, it's a very rare thing because right. people didn't get old enough to get it.
1: Sure.
0: Also, uh, there's been a change because people. Uh, used to, when they had a stroke, they would usually be dead within a few, they either die of the stroke or they'd be dead within a few years after the stroke. Now people have a stroke and they're living 10, 15 years longer. Mm-hmm. So all of these, so on both sides, the medical advancements has resulted in um, more of a need. So right. there's kind of a moral obligation if you're going to save people's lives that you should try to ensure the quality of their life. Sure, sure. And that's uh, what, how we we come into play? Mm-hmm.
1: Now those changes that have occurred over time mm-hmm. because of what has happened with medical technology, then there are going to be more diagnoses, mm-hmm. and then you know people getting to live longer. But the the way that the United States looks now is very different from you know forty, fifty years ago, mm-hmm. and there have also been challenges in uh, attracting practitioners or there being. More practitioners who come from diverse backgrounds and experiences. Mm-hmm. How is that being, uh, how has that historically been dealt with, if at all?
0: Well, uh, first of all, all of the health professions and every, all the health professions are hard to get into. And they've prided themselves on being hard to be, get into. Mm-hmm. And they have a lot of exclusionary uh, criterion, some of which is questionable whether it really. So, for example, in medicine, statistically, the uh, the biggest predictor of you getting into medical school is your grade in organic chemistry. -hmm. So you you see how all of them, and and they're they're selective. Meaning a lot of people apply, and everybody doesn't get in. Some people don't get into any of the schools. So that kind of structure, which was on purpose, it was on purpose to make them. And the reason given was, well, we want to control the quality control. You know, Mm -hmm. these are people taking care of people, so we have to make sure they're the best people. Well, some of these criteria are are not the ones that make uh, good clinicians. Mm-hmm. So uh, for speech language pathology, the fact that it uh, the it requires a master's degree would, uh, for a lot of pe- first generation and all of that, to, to know that you're going to have to commit to six years might keep you from going into it, right. especially if you're wondering if you're going to get through the four. Mm-hmm. And the field's a uh, 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 base for practices, a master's degree in speech pathology, and it's a clinical doctorate for audiology. So they're even looking at a longer time. Right. So uh, across the country, people are looking at college and college costs and college debt and realize that we're excluding large groups of people that we actually need. Mm-hmm. We need them because of these growing going needs and that. And we also need them because the diversity of the people we're treating has changed it's also changed right? so much uh, so part of our five-year program is to take a year off that's a whole year of tuition less a whole year of staying in the dorm and one more year to get to employment mm-hmm. <laughs> so right, if you add right. them together uh, that's one of the impetuses for us to uh, start this uh, program, program to help more uh, more different people be able to or to think they're going to be able to do this. To
1: do it, right. And speaking of the, the length of time um, making the change, I'd like to introduce another voice to this conversation, uh, someone who's currently pursuing a career in speech language pathology and happens to have had a significant role in SLU's change to uh, moving to the direct admit track, and that is St. Louis University graduate student, Lucy Heller. Lucy, welcome to the show. Thank you. So. When Dr. Thoretz, were talking about the range of people who would uh, receive speech language uh, pathology services, I think a lot of people sort of think about youth, right, kids in school, right. But Lucy, your your decision to to pursue uh, this field is a little bit different. Tell us about that.
2: Okay, um, so I've known that I wanted to pursue a. a- a field in um, in health and medicine since I was um, younger, and um, I was actually introduced to the field when my grandmother suffered a stroke and um, worked with a speech language pathologist um, after to help rehabilitate some of her some of her language skill. Um, and in high school, I started to look into the field a bit more, and it really seemed to be a combination of health sciences, anatomy things like linguistics, cognition, neurology, and education, which were all things that I was really interested in. And um, I was looking at SLU, and um, the field was very appealing, and I talked to um, some of the faculty members, and that helped to solidify my my decision to go to SLU and also um, study speech-language pathology.
1: Mm-hmm. So you decided pretty early on. Right. Uh, and... But- the The decision to do that, you know, clearly you were, you were motivated, sort of, uh, you initiated yourself, sort of these discussions with people to find out more. Um, did you find that information very readily available? And had you known anything about speech language pathology before what had happened with your grandmother?
2: Um, I had heard about it, but didn't know, didn't know very much about it. I just did some some looking on the internet, and um, I ended up getting in contact with a couple of working speech pathologists and was able to spend a couple of days shadowing them and um, really getting an idea of what a day-to-day is like. And um, that helped me to further decide that so early on that that was something that I wanted to pursue and end up staying in, staying in the program. Mm-hmm.
1: For... And when it comes to staying in st. Louis mm-hmm. uh, this is where you, you've grown up yes what was the appeal of of staying here was it proximity to family um, and you know would you have gone elsewhere if this kind of program had not been available so close to home
2: right it's definitely um, has been an added added bonus to be so close to family but um, ultimately my decision came down to um, really, feeling drawn to St. Louis University and um, the atmosphere and community there in addition to the speech language and hearing sciences program at SLU. And um, I was able to apply to the um, speech language and hearing sciences scholars program, which allowed direct admission to graduate school and eliminated that um, stress and step in the process later on in my undergraduate experience. So that mm-hmm. was another um, factor that led me to stay in St. Louis and go to go to SLU.
1: Yeah. So what was your role in the change that was made to the the program, uh, the rebranding? Tell us that story.
2: Right. So um, I was able to, because I went to high school in St. Louis, I went to Narenks Hall. I was able to take some credits um, through SLU as a high school student. And um, during my second year of college I started to look at my schedule and realized that I could finish my undergraduate degree in three years and because the speech language and hearing sciences program is pretty small um, I was able to work really collaboratively with faculty members to um, configure my schedule and move courses around to allow me to finish my bachelor's degree in three years and start graduate school immediately after. And shortly after we figured that out, I started to work with our undergraduate program director, Dr. Sunita Thurman, and um, we kind of worked together to come up with a new and revised schedule that doesn't require that you've taken um, credits in high school, but just configures classes and moves some things around to allow um, students who are coming into college knowing that they want to pursue speech language pathology. It allows them. Um, to finish the, the master's program in five years and have that direct admission into graduate school as mm-hmm. well.
1: And that is something that the changes will be implemented this, starting this coming fall.
0: Right. right. And right. I want to uh, emphasize that thing about uh, you know you're going to grad school. So the other stressor is you're going to go through four years of undergrad, and then you've got to start applying a bunch of right. places all over, <laughs> and maybe you won't get in. Yes. And historically, I mean, uh, there's some new programs, but there was a time that 30% of all people didn't get into any program they applied to. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's a fairly historically been a high GPA required to get into it. So that's another stressor. You're going to do four years and then you've got to apply all over again and hope you get in a second time. You you went through that to getting into college Mm -hmm. and now you're going to have to do it again. Yeah. And this, now there are uh, standards, you have to keep a certain GPA in the program. But as long as you keep that, um, you, you go in. And that criterion is, um, is, is not as high traditionally as people who, who applied as a grad student. Mm-hmm. But even we, as I said, there's a certain history of elitism. Sure. So uh, there's many programs that tell people, unless you have a three don't even apply. Right, right. Wow, that, that's, not, that's not a predictor of what kind mm-hmm. of therapist you're going to be. Yeah. <laughs> so well, that's what I'm saying. These artificial barriers, and these tend to keep underrepresented groups out of fields, mm-hmm. uh, especially if they go and talk to somebody and they don't seem very welcoming.
1: Right. <laughs> well, and also, you know, if we look at who is currently in, um, in positions at universities who mm-hmm. are teaching in these departments— mm-hmm. Sometimes if you don't see a reflection of your uh, own background. uh, 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 uh,
0: Speech-language pathology is 8% all minorities combined.
1: All minorities combined. Yes.
0: So it's only 3% black, uh, about 3% Hispanic. So I said some of these uh, historical uh, uh, issues have been involved in uh, that. And then I said people, frankly, haven't always been welcomed. Right. And I certainly wasn't always welcomed in my early time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you don't see people like you, they're not in the class, the faculty you talk to, they don't seem necessarily mean, but they don't seem welcoming either. Right. Then that will discourage you. So we, uh, even for our graduate admissions, people come straight through, we look at their entire record. We don't just look at them as a GPA and a GRE score. Mm -hmm. We look at their letters of recommendation, they come in, we look at what kind of person they're going to be. Because these are the things that are going to make people who can sit across from a person in some kind of distress. Remember, we don't see somebody unless something's gone wrong. Sure, sure. Uh, So your child has been newly diagnosed with autism, you have Parkinson's disease. Mm -hmm. So everybody we see is in some level of distress. Well, that takes a person to do that, not a GRE score.
1: (laughs) And we will pick up with that. We're going to take a very quick break here, but we'll be back shortly to continue this conversation.
0: Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.
1: Welcome back. Before the break, Dr. Threats, you were talking about ways that you were not uh, always welcomed. Can you briefly tell us, you know, what was maybe one of those instances, and you know, how are things different now?
0: Um, wow, well, only one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, being uh, there are many discouragements. Uh, a class that I got at an A a professor actually told me that he never thought a black person could do as well in one of their classes.
1: Oh, wow! And that was meant as a compliment. Yeah, yeah. and. Was that here in? CNS? No, that wasn't that wasn't here. Okay. Yeah. Uh,
0: so uh, some of it has to do with uh, so our field started off uh, working with the first beginners of our field were elocutionists. They started working with speech. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's been a big premium on the quality of your speech and that uh, that kind of prejudice against people's speech. Uh, so I'll give another example, And uh, up until the 1970s, even for um, for white rural uh, students, uh, they would make them go into therapy to get rid of their southern accent before they would let them see clients. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's a historical reason right, that right. you have the 8% if uh-huh. you have that kind of attitude. Now that is that does not exist anymore, mm-hmm. and it certainly does not exist uh, in our department uh, where we have Compared to other departments, a higher percentage of underrepresented students okay. than the typical program.
1: Yeah, and I mean, Lucy, you've been now um, in in the program for a, a couple years. You're three, four. No, um,
2: this is my fourth year.
1: Fourth year. Yes. Do you feel like some of the things that Dr. Threats has talked about that you have seen changes sort of in the in the classroom? Um, as well as in the, the clinical experiences that you've had.
2: yes, i would I would say so. Um, just in the past in the past few years and in my last, um, I've only been working in a clinical setting for a semester, but um, just the the overall and overarching attitudes of um, inclusion and continuing to um, learn about new, ideas and populations and um, just create an atmosphere of open-mindedness and continued education is something that has been um, emphasized throughout my experience at SLU and um, both in the classroom and in my clinical experiences.
1: Mm-hmm. And I understand that you've done some research in the field of language sample analysis and that it, uh, it deals with transcription Mm -hmm. as it deals uh, or as it relates to diagnosis I feel like there's a little bit of a connection to some of the things Dr. Threats you've talked about tell us about that research
2: right um so through the through the program at SLU I have been able to um work really hands-on with um my faculty mentor Dr. Sarah Steele in the program and um together we've been looking at language sample analysis and um Ways that we can incorporate technology into making it a more accessible and regularly practiced um, method of testing among um, kids in primarily in educational settings. Mm-hmm. So, with language sample analysis, it's a it's a supplemental test that we're using to help us identify disordered areas of language and um, parts of it, like transcription. So, we're listening to an audio recording of. A child talking or having a conversation, and then we're transcribing it, and that tends to be pretty, pretty time-consuming, right. especially. <laughs> we understand transcription <laughs> here, yeah. <laughs> right, right, especially with um, larger caseloads. So, we've been looking at the accuracy of speech-to-text prog- speech-to-text programs like Microsoft Dictate to um, see if we can expedite that transcription process as a whole, and um, you know, make language sample analysis something that can be practiced more accessibly and readily in school settings. And um, yeah, it's a great, it's a great supplemental test because it allows us to really um, see how kids are using language in real life and conversational contexts, which is really important. And um, it tends to be a pretty inclusive testing procedure because it Mm -hmm. can be used across more than one language and um, with students from a variety of cultural and dialectal backgrounds as well.
1: Right, right. Dr. threats what Lucy has just talked about is, is one aspect of research. Is there another facet of research in your field that is exciting to you right now and sort of you know gets at some of the, the challenges that you've described?
0: Well, the range of research in the field is as wide as the range of clients that we see. Mm-hmm. So voice clients, uh, stuttering, child language, cognitive disorders, um, acquired language disorders, head trauma. Uh, so it's very wide. Uh, but our uh, department focuses on clinically relevant research, and that's not true in every department. So okay. you can research things. To you could research somebody who's had a stroke just to find out great truths about how the brain organizes language. But all of the faculty are actual speech-language pathologists, and that's not true in every department because other people can study language and the brain and all of these things. So I would say that all the people are doing clinical work. Uh, one faculty member is looking at Parkinson's disease and how they actually function in their lives, not just how they function in the clinic setting, but how well they're able to communicate. What happens if they have that and their spouse has a hearing loss? So it's very real life uh, research looking at the complex issues that actually affect a person's ability to communicate, not just their wants and needs, but to enjoy communication, mm-hmm. to tell a joke, to, you know, enjoy a story, um, as opposed to a laboratory test where you're just trying to measure the per- basically how deviant is the person. Right. So, that's, uh, that's the emphasis of the program at St. Louis University.
1: Okay. And just as we close here, Lucy, you made a decision quite some time ago to pursue this field. Is there a, an experience that you have had um, that's been particularly memorable that has confirmed that this is the thing that you should do and maybe that other people should think about joining you as a, as a future speech-language uh, pathologist?
2: Yes. So as we as we talked about, um, just the range of people and settings that we're able to work in is a really, really appealing part of the field. And um, this past semester, I was able to do some clinical work with preschool-aged um, clients, which was really fun and a great experience. And I got to work with them four days a week, which was awesome to um, really see that progression over the course of the semester and just seeing kids who come in with you know a couple of a couple of words that they're saying and kind of limited language and verbal skills grow through the semester and develop these you know social skills and turn taking and playing with each other and they're talking to their parents and they're talking to clinicians has been um invaluable and has really solidified my decision to continue the work that I'm doing in um, in the graduate program.
1: Mm-hmm. There's really very much language and communication and, and living. Lucy Heller is graduate student at St. Louis University's Department of Speech, Language, and Hearing Sciences, and Dr. Travis Threats is professor and chair of St. Louis University's Department of Speech, Language, and Hearing Sciences. Thank you both for joining us today.
2: Thank you. Thank
0: you. Today's
2: episode was produced by our executive producer, Alex Hoyer.
1: Audio engineering and podcast design by Aaron Doerr.
2: St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here.
0: St. Louis on the Air proudly supports local artists by using music from Life Creative Group